A quick reminder, the hosts of this show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing said on the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. This is Matt Walters and today on the podcast... We will be discussing the different types of investing risks. There's 10 that we'll be going through, so look forward to diving into that. But before we jump in, let's first welcome to the podcast David Lee, our founder and CEO. David, how's it going today? Hey, Matt. Happy to be here, and I'm I'm looking forward to today's topic. Or we may even have to split this up into two days. There's a lot to cover here. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see how how it goes and um, see if we can fit everything in. And then Natalie, our producer and marketing director. Natalie, how are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. So, yeah, so there's a lot to get into, so we're not going to waste too much time. We're going to kind of jump right in. There's 10 different types of risks that we're going to cover today. Not that this is um, comprehensive and that there's not any other risks outside of these, but these are kind of the 10 most known or most common risks that you want to be aware of and that we are looking at and thinking of. So the first one being one of the most well-known or what people think of, and that's market risk. So when you think of market risks, you think of, you know, your investments going down in value because of the economy or the stock market as a whole entering into a rough stretch, right? We see this almost every year. You see it in little short blips where the market goes, you know, down 10 or 15 percent. Um, you see it bigger times, you know, like the 2008 financial crisis, longer, more drawn out kind of market risk. But the, there's three different subs. Um, subgroups or subsections within market risk, and that's equity risk, interest rate risk, and currency risk. So David, can you give us an idea of what equity risk is? Yeah, equity risk is probably the the one that most people think of when they think of market risk. That's just the risk that the the price per share of whatever you're invested in could go down in value for whatever reason. It could be because of that, something going on with that particular stock or company or security, or it could be the the broader you know just the broader market for example last march you know with the covid hitting the market that was kind of a systemic risk we would call that where the entire system falls under risk because of some broader event that's happening so it's not just one stock so that's an example of equity risk okay and then you've got interest rate risk so interest rate risk is when you're looking at um, the changes in the interest rate and how the interest rate changes we've seen this over the last decade or two, how interest rates have just steadily been coming down. And for those of you that don't know, this is uh, in particular concerned with bonds and how bond prices and interest rates are inversely correlated. So um, as interest rates go down, bond prices go up and the opposite being true as well. As interest rates, rates rise, bond prices go down. So there's a risk there that as the interest rate environment changes, the price of those underlying bonds um, in this example will change. So there's a lot of risk there. And then the third one within the market risk category we have is currency risk. So this is if you're investing in whatever it may be that's that's in a foreign company or a, a country you know outside the United States that, that spends and uses a foreign currency, you have this currency risk that the exchange rate is going to change based on how the U.S. dollars, you know, working and so that adds a, another layer of complexity into that 
um, risk with that. Yeah, investment. something that have like you mentioned, Matt. It's something that definitely has to be factored into your consideration if you're investing in a company that's not a U.S. domestic company, because that, you know, if they're producing product overseas, for example, that that change in the currency relative to the U.S. dollar relative to whatever foreign currency that is can have a tremendous impact on their profits and revenues, which would be reflected in their stock share. Right. Or stock Absolutely. price. Okay. So moving on, like I said, a lot, lot to cover here. So second one, liquidity risk. David, what? give us an example of liquidity risk, what it is and how we can kind of protect against it. Basically just the risk of not being able to sell the shares of whatever you're invested in when you want to. Um, one that comes to the top of my mind, unfortunately, when I think about this is real estate investment trust, REITs. We've seen lots of clients through the past 15 years that um, have money tied up in real estate investment trust and they come in wanting our help to try to get out of it and they can't get out, right? You've seen it too, oh, Matt, yeah. in your time. Absolutely. Where So that's a perfect example of liquidity risk where you just literally can't sell your shares because there is no market, there's no buyer, there's no... Again, real estate's the perfect example because you can only sell a piece of property if you've got if there's a a real estate transaction that happens to convert that that real estate into cash so that you can get your your money back out of it. Right. Yeah. I I talk to clients about this a lot, but I think liquidity is something that we often take for granted. Yeah. Because we just kind of have come to expect it in the markets today, yeah. and it's there, and there's market makers and people out there that help with it, but um, but not every investment is liquid. And liquidity is not a guarantee either. That's, that's right. To keep so on thin, the, the other example, I mean, besides just real estate investment trusts, they're not the only examples. There's lots of examples of limited liquidity, limited liquidity um, investments. For example, um, some thinly traded stocks like penny stocks would be typically an example where, you know, some, a lot of times the penny stocks, unfortunately get, um, kind of wrapped into the get rich quick schemes. We see that a lot where someone's wanting to invest in something that's trading for pennies. Well, typically there were a lot of times those penny stocks have very low liquidity. So it can be very difficult to get your, your money out of those when you're, when it's time to sell. Right. Yeah. Essentially it's a good reminder that just because you want to sell something doesn't mean that you yeah. can't, there has to be, there has to be a buyer there. on the other end. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the way we deal with that at Mach one is, for example, our artificial intelligence strategy, which you've heard us talk about if you've listened to the podcast for a while, it is only looking at stocks that meet certain minimum criteria for market cap. That's the total number of shares outstanding and the value of the shares uh, along with average daily volume. So, and the reason why we look at those criteria, it has to meet certain criteria to even be considered is because we want to make sure that there's going to be a buyer on the other end of that when we're ready to sell. Or a lot of times we'll also deal with it by just dealing with index funds, indexed ETFs, especially when it comes to our hedging. You'll notice that we always hedge with options against an index as opposed to options against an individual security. That also uh, helps ensure more liquidity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Great example, David. The Let's let's move on real quick so we can get through some of these. The third type of risk we're going to talk about is concentration risk. So concentration risk really is when everybody talks about diversification, right? That's what we're trying to get away from is concentration risk. So it's the risk of loss because your money is concentrated in particular in a particular type of investment. So this is why you don't want to take a hundred percent of your net your life savings and and buy Apple, 
right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, You've heard of the old adage, I mean, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Um, or the modern concept, if you will, of diversification, which is just that, yeah, if you put all of your eggs in Apple, to use your example, well, what if some unforeseen thing happens? What if, I don't, I don't know what it would be, but something unforeseen happens and all the factories in Apple get bombed or burned down or whatever, and all of a sudden they've got, you know, their business model changes overnight. You've got all of your investments there. You could get wiped out in a hurry, right? So um, you want to diversify. You want to invest in all different kinds of things. And in fact, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast before, but the concept of diversification is actually in the Bible. It's in Ecclesiastes 11.1. It says, cast your bread upon the waters for after many days you will find it again. Divide your portion among seven or eight because you don't know what disaster may befall the land. So the point is, you know, don't put everything in in one ship. Cast your bread upon many waters. Uh, don't put everything in one basket. And after many days, you will find it again. So that's also the concept that it can take time to see a return on investment. You have to be patient when it comes to investing. And, uh, and the reason you divide it up, as it says in verse two there, is because you don't know what what can happen? Something could happen to an individual stock that could really wipe you out if you've got too much tied up in that one thing. As a rule of thumb at Mach 1, the way we deal with this, it, we would recommend at a, if you're very aggressive, no more than 20% of your portfolio in a single stock. If you're more moderate, probably no more than 10% of your portfolio in a single stock. The portfolios we manage typically have no more than 2% of the portfolio in an individual position. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, here in the Northwest Arkansas area, if this is, if you're listening, that's where you're at, you know, we see a lot of that with Walmart and the vendor community, you know, people who have large amounts of money in it, in their company stock. Right. So it's something we, we see often and want to make sure we're, we're aware of. And you also want to, you know, we talked about diversifying by ha- having no more than two or 10 or whatever percent in a single stock, but you also want to diversify by not having, everything in a single asset class, right? Right. Not- Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So different asset classes move, you know, in different ways at different points in time. And, you know, the traditional thinking is that as stocks rise, um, you know, the the modern portfolio theory, right? You put a certain amount toward in, in a bond portfolio, you put a certain amount in an equity portfolio, you diversify. And when the stock market goes down, the bond market will go up. That's like- Or the, gold or, you or know, gold all these or, yeah. different real estate- Exactly. Uh, insurance products, all those are, are different, what we would call different asset classes. And it's important to diversify across those asset classes, not just diversify within the stock asset class by having, you know, investing in, by investing in a whole bunch of different stocks. You also want to diversify by investing, by spreading your portfolio across various asset classes. Absolutely. All right. So number four, moving on credit risk. Credit risk is the risk that someone issuing debt or a bond in this example will run into financial trouble and won't be able to pay the interest or potentially won't even be able to pay the principal back. Right. So you see this, most people have heard of like a junk bond. Yeah. Right. So that's someone who's issuing debt to that. (laughs) We know on the front end, it may be hard for them to pay it back. They're not in the best of financial, you know, shape. And so they might be uh, uh, lower, you know, poorly rated, um, 
they might offer a higher rate. interest rate, right? Exactly. Because they have a lower credit rate, just like an individual, right? You have a credit score, right? That's sort of like uh, the rating of a bond when you, you know, different bonds are rated, you know, AAA or triple B or whatever. Well, individuals have that too. It's called your credit score. And just like with an individual, if you have a lower credit score, you're not going to get as favorable loan terms from a bank. Yeah. Right? Your gonna, credit risk is higher. Your credit risk is higher. Yeah. And it's this. And so the bank may be willing to, give you a loan, even if you have a lower credit score, because they, but they're going to demand a higher rate of return, if you will, from you, uh, a higher interest rate. Well, it's the same way with bonds. The more secure, the uh, the higher rate of the bond is, typically the lower the yield is. Right. Yeah. And so what most people rely on almost exclusively is the credit rating agencies. And you and I were talking about this right before the podcast, David, of how you know, if you go back to the 2008 financial crisis, you look at like Standard & Poor's and some of these rating agencies, they had highly, they had ra- given some of these issuers very high ratings and come to find out it was all just garbage. Yeah. I mean, and so people were buying these investments or buying this debt from these issuers um, thinking that they were AAA rated, you know, highly rated, you know, investment options and come to find out it was just, they were, it was a bunch of junk stuff yeah. that was wrapped in, you know, to other things and tried to make make it look pretty yeah right and so you have to be you have to be careful just because it has be, a triple a rating next to it does not mean that there's yeah you can't put full full uh 100 of your faith in that rating right sure. we learned that in 2008 and so and so this uh definitely kind of underscores the previous point we made about diversification across asset classes or even diversification within an asset class so when you for your bond portfolio or for whatever portion of your portfolio is made up of bonds you want to make sure that's diversified across a whole bunch of bonds in different different bond ratings. But you don't want to have too much of your portfolio that's just in bonds alone. You want to diversify. Right, exactly. Okay, so we're going to end on this one today since we're getting kind of short on time. Um, and then we're going to co- cover the next five next week or in, a, in an upcoming podcast. So number five, the last one for today is inflation risk. This is one that, man, if you haven't, if you haven't seen this on the news or people talking about this, then um, you haven't been watching the news because this is one you know on everybody's mind. The Fed, um, there were there was a big consumer pricing announcement today. Where when this podcast was recorded, and so you know there's everybody's kind of concerned or just on edge about how inflation is going to look over the next over the coming years and how the Fed's going to handle that. So what is inflation, and what does it mean? So the risk of inflation is the risk of loss of your purchasing power. Basically saying. It's going to take more money to buy the same goods that it used to, right? Or um, your money doesn't go as far as it used to. So gas prices are going up, right? Milk is four dollars a gallon instead of two fifty a gallon. Those types of—that's what inflation is. Everybody pretty much knows that. But why does that matter, David, from an investing standpoint? What? Um, how do we take this into? account when we're building a financial plan. Yeah, it's especially important, but, you know, in retirement planning, which is a a core part of what we do here at Mach 1, because if you're, let's say you're retiring and you're 60 years old and we think you're going to live to 90, well, that's, that's 30 years of, of inflation. So the value of a dollar, imagine what the value of a dollar 30 years from now is going to be. So you've got to, it's going to be significantly less most likely than it is today. I mean, Today, we're in the year 2021. 30 years ago would have been 1990. So think about, you know, what the price of gas was back in 1990 and what the price of a loaf of bread and, you know, all these things were. And you'll you'll see the, 
the effect of inflation over time. So it's critically important when you're doing retirement planning uh, to factor inflation in. When we do a retirement analysis for folks when they come in, our software takes into account inflation. Taxes also, that's another, but that's a topic for another day. But inflation is one of the factors that we account for in our planning. And so you want to make sure that you've got some, uh, we want to make sure that you've got a portion of your portfolio and asset classes that can help to offset that eroding uh, effect of inflation over time. Right, exactly. Yeah, because the rate of return that we're getting in retirement is, um, is crucial because if it's not at least a certain amount, right, we're our portfolio might be growing, but our spending power is, is going decreasing backwards. over time. Yeah. And so it's like a double negative because we're going to have to be taking more and more and more out, but our assets aren't growing at enough, right. you know, high enough rate to keep up with it. So a huge risk, something I see a lot, you know, with people kind of building their own financial portfolio. They say, well, I assume I'm going to spend a little bit less in retirement. It's like, well, in today's dollar, that may or may not be true. Right. But 15 years from now, even if you're spending less in today's dollar, it still it may be more money. definitely not true. Yeah. yeah, it's almost definitely not true, especially if, you know, your time horizon is 20 years down the road. You're almost guaranteed to be spending more in terms of the true number of dollars. Yeah, I mean, at 3% inflation, it would take, and this is very rough, but roughly 20 years for that to double. To double. So if, yeah. you're, if your current budget's 5000 a month and, and you're... 60 looking to retire by the time you're 80 you're probably going to be spending close to ten thousand dollars a month to just to live life at the same lifestyle exactly yeah and so that's a that's a huge thing and something you always have to take into consideration when you're putting together a plan so for the sake of time we're going to cut it off there today we've got five more different types of risks that we're going to jump into next week um run through them real quick horizon risk longevity risk foreign investment risk call risk and social and political risk um so still a lot of good information to dive into next week. Um, if you have any questions, we love answering people's questions, love getting those um, submitted, or if you have any topics that you want us to cover, you can um, jump on our website and go to the podcast section and submit a question or a topic recommendation there. Or you can email us at podcast at mach1fg.com. That's M-A-C-H-1-F-G.com. So you can email us any questions or topic recommendations there. As always, thank you, Natalie, for producing the show. We appreciate all your hard work. And the thought for the day, I really like this one. There were a lot of good ones as I was looking this up about risk and market risk and managing it. But this is one of the better ones. The, the best investors do not target return. They focus first on risk and then only decide whether the projected return justifies taking each particular risk. That's from Seth Klarman. And I thought that was really good. At most, it's easy to get caught up in, well, how big is the return going to be? And that's not that's really not the question at all. It's how much risk am I, I going to have to take to get that return? So I um, thought that was a really, really good quote for the day. So that's it for today. We appreciate you listening to the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. 
Mock 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mock-1financial.com disclosures.